We don't know what he might do. This is their commander-in-chief, and they are concerned. This is something that is getting quite noticed around military circles. Oh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. I am a little scared. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. I'll get over it. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP. In Rochester, New York on WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV. Out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, just to name a few of the folks who run us five days a week. There are many more who pick us up here and there as we blanket planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, with another edition of Radio to Quarantine by Even Over the Holidays. Thank you for joining us. As we go to air today, we are... 28 days away from Inauguration Day. We are 14 days away from Joe Biden's Electoral College defeat of Donald Trump being affirmed or not by Congress on January 6th. I have long warned you to mark that date in your calendar. I am warning you again to do so. Please uh, underscore it, underline it, circle (laughs) it in red, whatever. There are 13 days until the last day for Georgians to cast their votes to save the nation and the world in the uh, two ongoing U.S. Senate runoff elections that will determine control of the U.S. Senate for the next two years. That uh, final election day is January 5, with uh, early voting now underway, and uh, the turnout is said to be pretty huge. Welcome to the broadcast. So, uh, Desi Doyen, yes. what is supposed to happen on that made-up Jerry Seinfeld holiday called Festivus? <laughs> I think it's the airing of grievances. Correct! <laughs> and that explains it. Donald Trump is just celebrating Festivus. Ah. That's it. The holiday for the rest of us. That must explain it. Over the past 24 hours or so, i got to tell you, everything I have been reading... From the mainstream corporate media sounds incredibly enough as if it could have been, you know, one of my opening monologues on the broadcast. 
For example, here's Stephen Collinson yesterday at CNN. Joe Biden will be president in 30 days. Until then, the question is how much damage can be done by a vengeful, delusional, soon-to-be ex-president swilling conspiracy theories whose wild anti-democratic instincts are being encouraged by fringe political opportunists. That's CNN. He goes on to say Donald Trump will retain the awesome powers of the presidency until noon on January 20, and there's never been a time when he has been subject to as few restraining influences or has had a bigger incentive to cause disruption. The president is spending day after day in the White House bunker entertaining crackpot theories about imposing martial law, seizing voting machines, and staging an intervention in Congress on January 6 to steal the election from Joe Biden. Again, I'm reading CNN here. This is not me talking. This is Stephen Collinson. He says, surrounded by the last dead-end loyalists, Trump is flinging lies and political venom like King Lear in a crumbling Twitter kingdom, alarming staffers about what he will do next. Jonathan Swan at Axios, who has very good inside sources at the White House, Reports President Trump in his final days is turning bitterly on virtually every person around him, griping about anyone who refuses to indulge conspiracy theories or hopeless bids to overturn the election. Top officials tell Axios targets of his outrage include Vice President Pence, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, White House Counsel Pat Cipollone, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Those are now Donald Trump's targets. Trump thinks everyone around him is weak, stupid, or disloyal, and increasingly seeks comfort only in people who egg him on to overturn the election results. We cannot stress enough, writes Axios, how unnerved Trump officials, Trump officials are by the conversations unfolding inside the White House. He is lashing out and everyone, everyone is in the blast zone, writes Swan. At this point, if you're not in the use the Department of Homeland Security or the military to impound voting machines camp, the president considers you to be weak and beneath contempt. He says Trump is fed up with Cipollone, his White House counsel. Some supporters of Cipollone are worried that Trump is on the brink of removing him and replacing him with a fringe loyalist. By the way, Cipollone, you know, is kind of fringe himself <laughs> at this point. So the fact that he they're talking about replacing him, a source who spoke to Trump, said the president was complaining about Mike Pence and brought up a Lincoln Project ad that claims that Pence is, quote, backing away from Trump. This ad, uh, writes Axios, has clearly got inside Trump's head, according to a source. Here's that ad. The end is coming, Donald. Even Mike Pence knows. He's backing away from your train wreck, from your desperate lies and clown lawyers. When Mike Pence is running away from you, you know it's over. Trying to save his reputation, protect his future. Oh, there's one last thing, Donald. On January 6th, Mike Pence will put the nail in your political coffin when he presides over the Senate vote to prove Joe Biden won. It's over. And Mike Pence 
knows it. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, so if uh, they are getting into Donald Trump's head, that was their point. That's what Lincoln Project has been trying to do from day one. They're a bunch of anti-Trump Republicans. Well, that might explain some of his behavior of late as well. Trump views Pence as not fighting hard enough for him, says Axios, the same complaint he uses against virtually everybody who works for him and has been very loyal to him. And in an Oval Office meeting on Monday night, Trump spoke with House Republicans about voting to overturn the Electoral College result on January 6th in Congress. A desperate vote, they say, that even Trump has privately acknowledged he is bound to lose. Another reflection of Trump's state of mind. As Axios reported Monday night, the president got his personal assistant to email Republican lawmakers a PowerPoint slide attacking Mitch McConnell for being, quote, the first one off the ship and claiming credit for the Senate Majority Leader's victory in his Kentucky re-election recently. Interesting phrasing, off the ship? What ship? Uh, The rats (laughs) off the sinking ship? Off a sinking ship, yeah. Perhaps ill-considered choice of words there for our stable genius. Uh, In any event, Swan goes on to note that's uh, quite a message to send two weeks out from the crucial U.S. Senate runoff races in Georgia where Republicans need to stay unified. Good luck with that, guys. Meanwhile, over at the Pentagon, according to CNN's Pentagon correspondent Barbara Starr, it's like a low murmur just before just below the surface. She writes, we don't know what he might do, says one officer. We are in strange times, says another. With some 30 days to go before the U.S. military watches its current commander-in-chief leave office, there is growing anxiety in the ranks about what Trump might do in these remaining days. Will the president order some unexpected military action, such as a strike on Iran? Or will he somehow draw the military into his efforts to overthrow the election results? It's a troubling enough scenario that military leaders have reportedly taken the unusual step of publicly stating that they will not play a role in deciding an American election. CNN has spoken to nearly a dozen currently serving officers, either in senior roles or with direct knowledge of how senior commanders feel right now. Barbara Starr reports that some say, don't talk about it. It only fuels the fire. Others say, drag the quiet talk into the sunshine of public debate. But they are very concerned. And uh, as military personnel, they are not allowed to speak against the president of the United States. But they are concerned and they are not sure how to deal with it. The conversations, uh, she says, are all unsettlingly similar. Concerns have been rising since Trump fired Defense Secretary Mark Esper last month and replaced him with Acting Secretary Chris Miller, a Trump apparatchik, and then proceeded to install political loyalists in other key civilian positions at the Pentagon. One officer said that people are making, quote, lists of everything they can think of that the president might do at this point. Several worry that there could be a round of firings or forced resignations of more Pentagon officials, including top military officers. 
Until a few days ago, these conversations might have been avoided. But last Friday, Star reports, by all accounts, the idea of using the military to change the election outcome reached directly into the Oval Office. Trump hosted a raucous meeting. That included lawyer Sidney Powell, who has pushed conspiracy theories about the election, and her client, the disgraced former National Security, Security Advisor Michael Flynn, where the idea of declaring martial law to overturn the elections came up. Powell advocates the federal government seizing and inspecting voting machines. In a Newsmax video posted on social media a few days before that White House meeting, Flynn who once headed the Defense Intelligence Agency with access to the greatest military secrets, he raised the prospect of martial law, suggesting the president could take, quote, military capabilities and, quote, rerun the election in swing states. Now, of course, that seems insane. Because it is. But is it? This is Michael, well, uh, the Michael idea Flynn. is yeah. insane. Yeah. The idea is, I think, blatantly illegal. But none of those things actually matter when you have an insane clown president. Co- of course. And when you have insane clowns like Michael Flynn and Sidney Powell egging him on. Apparently, Barbara Starr reports uh, that the idea had a serious impact on the senior ranks. A day after that Newsmax video aired, General James McConville, the Army Chief of Staff, and Ryan McCarthy, the Army Secretary and a Trump appointee, uh, issued a terse statement saying, quote, there is no role for the U.S. military in determining the outcome of an American election. No military official that CNN spoke to. Uh, recalls a recent time prior to Trump when top-serving officials had to send the message that they cannot get involved in election results, let alone put out multiple messages to that effect. Against that background, then, over the past 24 hours, on Tuesday night, Donald Trump unleashed several bombshells, one largely uh, expected for some time, the other that really should have been expected— Trump unleashed another wave of pardons for friends and friends of friends, including several Trump campaign staffers who lied to federal investigators during special counsel Robert Mueller's probe of Russian interference in the 2016 election. He also pardoned three wildly corrupt members of Congress, including the first and second Republican members of Congress who endorsed him, Donald Trump and his original run for the presidency back in 2016. That would be New York Congressman Chris Collins and California Congressman Duncan Hunter Jr., who were found guilty of huge corruption, major insider trading in Collins' case, major campaign finance violations, including stealing from veterans' charities in uh, Duncan Hunter's case and lying to federal investigators in pretty much all of these cases. He's also pardoned four military contractors from Blackwater. That's the mercenary group owned by Eric Prince, the sister of Trump's education secretary, Betsy DeVos. The brother. He's the brother. You're right. She's the sister. They were found guilty of murder and war crimes in carrying out a massacre of more than a dozen Iraqi civilians some years ago during that conflict. And Donald Trump has said, oh, that's just fine with me. Murder is just fine. You'll be pardoned for it. 
And, of course, after months of negotiations between the White House and Democrats to finally come up with a long-overdue emergency COVID relief measure, as we are now uh, nearing at least 325,000 Americans dead, after Senate Republicans failed to even negotiate for most of those uh, past eight or nine months, a $900 billion deal was struck, passed by both houses of Congress, attached to the annual spending bill just before they left for the holidays, only to see Donald Trump issue an unglued, pre-taped, really shouty video on Twitter last night from the White House suggesting that he would veto the measure if the one-time payments agreed to by Congress for $600 to most Americans if that was not raised to $2,000 per American instead. It really is a disgrace. Congress found plenty of money for foreign countries, lobbyists, and special interests while sending the bare minimum to the American people who need it. It wasn't their fault. It was China's fault, (laughs) not their fault. Whose fault? I'm asking Congress to amend this bill and increase the ridiculously low $600 to $2,000 and to send me a suitable bill or else the next administration will have to deliver a COVID relief package and maybe that administration will be me and we will get it done. So the next administration will have to do the package, uh, which, by the way, would mean that the government shuts down until there is a new administration. But I love the way he talks about the next administration and then he catches himself and and that could be me. The perils of not reading the script before you actually say it. I don't know that he had a script, actually, (laughs) because that was it was taped. It was pre-taped and they kept cutting camera angles. So apparently they cut and chopped that thing together. Following that rant, then, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who, with Democrats, had been fighting for, in fact, much larger emergency payments uh, to Americans for months, even during negotiations with the White House. And it was the White House that, you know, demanded no more than $600 payments. That was Steve Mnuchin, who was doing the negotiation for the White House, who apparently did not even know in advance that Trump was going to release that video. Anyway, uh, immediately after that rant, Pelosi immediately took to Twitter to say, quote, Republicans repeatedly refused to say what amount the president wanted for direct checks. At last, the president has agreed to $2,000. Democrats are ready to bring this to the floor this week by unanimous consent. Let's do it, she said. She was then echoed by Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, who wrote, quote, We're glad to pass more aid Americans need. Maybe Trump can finally make himself useful and get Republicans not to block it again. Meanwhile, down in Georgia, the two Democratic Senate candidates, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, uh, uh, immediately joined in the call for the higher payments to Americans. They called on their Republican opponents in that critical runoff. Uh, which will determine party control of the Senate for the next two years, they called on them to join them, which would mean they would have to break with Mitch McConnell and their fellow Republicans in the Senate in order to join the president, sort of cleaving the Republican Party right down the middle. And then on Tuesday night, as all of this chaos continued, it was reported by several outlets that 
Trump's executive office sent an email to White House staff detailing the departure process ahead of Biden's inauguration next month. What departure? I thought that uh, Donald Trump wasn't going anywhere. Well, sure enough, by Wednesday morning, a new email landed in staffers' inbox, this one telling them to ignore the previous message. (laughs) Never mind. And around the same time on Wednesday morning, as Washington Post reports, the GOP is plunging now into open warfare over President-elect Joe Biden's election victory with Donald Trump taunting Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and threatening primary challenges against other Republicans, House lawmakers, egging on senators to contest the counting of electoral college votes next month and senior GOP senators rebuffing that effort as a pointless political exercise. It's all going very well. And while the internal Republican Party conflict festers, the Post writes, White House officials are scrambling in private to rein in Trump's increasing embrace of conspiracy theories as the defeated president and his most ardent allies continue to plot efforts to subvert the outcome of the November 3 election. It all appears to have now hardened Trump. Republicans in the Senate so quickly forget, he tweeted, right now they would be down eight seats without my backing them in the last election. Rhino John Thune, Mitch's boy, he tweeted, should just let it play out. South Dakota doesn't like weakness. He will be primaried in 2022. Political career over, tweeted Trump. So, yes, he's now not only gunning for Mitch McConnell, also for Mitch McConnell's second in command. Trump was referring to comments from the second-ranking GOP senator when uh, Thune recently likened efforts to contest the counting of Electoral College votes in Congress on January 6 to, quote, going down like a shot dog. And as if all of that madness and chaos is not enough, with just 28 days until Inauguration Day, 28 long, long days, uh, just before airtime today, Trump followed up with a promise to veto the massive must-pass defense spending bill for reasons that aren't entirely clear, other than he had hoped it would include a provision that has nothing to do with defense spending, but that would punish, he thinks, online social media outlets who have flagged his fake and false tweets about a stolen election as fake and false. The uh, defense measure, the uh, uh, military authorization bill, was passed with veto-proof majorities in both houses of Congress. So Trump's attempt at this point to derail the bill will likely only become yet another embarrassment for this increasingly maniacal and dangerous outgoing president. But we'll see if he'll be able to threaten enough of his GOP dead-enders in the House to prevent that uh, veto override from happening and instead watch the Pentagon run out of money entirely, I guess, at year's end. That is where we are as we go to air in what is certainly our uh, long national nightmare before Christmas, for which we turn to our old friend Heather Digby Parton to somehow make sense of it all. Uh, I wish her luck. That's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. 
What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Is that supposed to calm me down? <laughs> Something. It, it, it might help. <sighs> Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. With four weeks left in President Trump's term, he is at perhaps his most unleashed, the New York Times reports this afternoon. And as events of the last few days have demonstrated at the most unpredictable point in his presidency. He remains the most powerful person in the world, yet he is focused on the one area in which he is powerless to get what he wants, a way to avoid leaving office as a loser. He spends his days flailing for any hope, if not actually reversing the outcome of the election, then at least of building a coherent case that he was robbed of a second term. When he has emerged from his relative isolation in recent days, the Times reports it has been to suggest out of the blue that he would try to blow up the bipartisan stimulus package, driving a wedge through his own party in the process, and to grant clemency to a raft of allies and supporters mostly outside the normal Justice Department process. He has otherwise sequestered himself in the White House, playing host to a cast of conspiracy theorists and hardcore supporters who traffic in ideas like challenging the election's outcome in Congress and even invoking martial law, seeking to give some of them government jobs. He is almost entirely disengaged from leading the nation, even as Americans are being felled by the coronavirus at record rates. And faced with an aggressive cyber assault, almost surely carried out by Russia, his response to the degree that he has one has been to downplay the damage and to contradict his own top officials by suggesting that the culprit might actually have been China. Well... Why not Venezuela or Hugo Chavez? He played almost no role in negotiating the stimulus bill, the New York Times notes, the one that just passed Congress before working to disrupt it at the last minute. And just before airtime, Donald Trump vetoed the must-pass $740 billion military authorization defense spending bill. The Time notes, Times notes that it is not clear that Trump's latest behavior is anything other than a temper tantrum, attention-seeking, or a form of therapy for the man who controls a nuclear arsenal. Though one alternative, they write, if charitable, is that all of this is strategic groundwork for a grievance-filled run in 2024. If nothing else, they say it will make for an especially anxious next 27 days in Washington. I'll say. Meanwhile, our friend Heather Digby Parton over at Salon offered some historical perspective today. She writes one of the more haunting images from The Final Days, the sequel to Woodward and Bernstein's All the President's Men, is that 
of Richard Nixon wandering drunkenly through the White House, giving speeches to the portraits of the previous presidents as Watergate was unraveling and he realized he was about to endure the worst humiliation of his life. In a meeting with some congressman at one point, he said, quote, I can go in my office and pick up a telephone and in 25 minutes, millions of people will be dead prompting California Senator Alan Cranston to warn Defense Secretary James Schlesinger about the need for keeping a a berserk president from plunging us into a holocaust. That's a quote. Schlesinger then went on to issue an order that if the president gave any nuclear launch order, military commanders should check with either him or Secretary of State Henry Kissinger before executing them which is a serious departure from the normal protocol requiring an order from the commander-in-chief to launch immediately. Luckily, Nixon just moped around the White House for a while until he was finally given the heave-ho by members of Congress, writes Heather. Looking back on it, she says, what we thought of as a frightening, dangerous episode now looks like a staid and dignified affair compared to what's going on in Donald Trump's final days. We can only wish that Trump was just crying into a glass of scotch and asking Henry Kissinger to get down on his knees and pray for him, as Nixon did. Instead, he seems to be having a very public nervous breakdown. Is that what we should call this? Joining us now to call it whatever she likes, uh, and it still won't be as insane as the way that even the mainstream media are now describing what seems to be happening in Donald Trump's White House in his small world, is the great Heather Digby Parton. She is, of course, the longtime blogger known and loved as simply Digby to millions as the proprietor and chief bottle washer of the long-running Hullabaloo blog. She's also a regular contributor at Salon.com, a winner of the Sidney Hillman Prize for Opinion and Analysis Journalism, and the one we always seem to turn to when times become insane during the Trump era, going all the way back to the day that she joined us as Trump faithfully descended that golden escalator back in June of 2015. Oh, Heather, welcome back, my friend, to the show that still never ends. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me. Uh, You know, it's it's been a long, strange trip. uh, Yeah. And I think... And I'm glad to have shared it with you and uh, and Desi Doyen. It's been uh, been quite an experience. Well, you know, don't describe it as if it's over, Heather, because <laughs> it ain't over. I yet. don't think it's over at all. You know, the only thing I knew about today when I, when I asked Desi to reach out and see if you were available to join us was that I wanted I wanted you on uh, my last live show before the end of 2020. And and don't worry, we'll have fresh broadcasts coming up. Though Nicole Sandler will be uh, sitting in for me but what i thought i was going to be talking to you about was what happened this year what happened in the trump presidency (laughs) what we might learn from it all going forward however with what is now happening in the white house as we head into the christmas holiday barrel towards uh the new year with what is likely to happen on january 6th when congress is supposed to affirm the 2020 electoral college vote i think some of my questions today may be more along the lines of So you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> that's that's kind of where we are here. Uh, Heather, uh, for the last seven or eight weeks uh, since Election Day, I've been thinking about what our friend 
Richard R.J. Eskow of Zero Hour. Uh, I don't I don't know if you remember this or not. He said at the very end of our final debate show before the election, we all laughed about it at the time. But boy, does it feel like his warning was prescient. Let me just play this. There's always that final scene in the horror m- movie, the carry moment when the hand reaches up out of the grave. Let's make sure the hand doesn't reach out of the grave. <laughs> So, remember that? I sure do. I so, definitely do. Is, is that where we are now at this point, Heather? I think so. <laughs> I think we are. And the hand is just starting to reach up out of the, out of the uh-huh. ground, you know, like at the end of Carrie there, yeah. where, where it comes out of the grave. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think we all expected him to act out, right? I mean, we knew he wasn't going to act like a normal president mm-hmm. and be gracious and have... Biden over for coffee and the first ladies <laughs> would exchange recipes or whatever they do. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, 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 knew, I didn't expect that. But this, this is, I mean, I don't know that, you know, he's so incredibly afraid of being called a loser mm-hmm. that he's turned himself into the greatest sore loser in world yeah. history. <laughs> yeah. It is. The, I, I honestly, and I don't think that's, I mean, who who is a bigger sore loser than yeah. he is? It's a, there's nobody who's ever acted this way in the face of a loss. And, you know, I mean, look at it. In every election, somebody loses. Mm-hmm. There's always a loser. It's just every four, you know, four years, somebody loses the election. And no one has ever behaved this way. I mean, some have been more upset than others, and there have been, you know, good mm-hmm. reason for some of them to be upset. This, though, is, is manufactured sore loserdom out of cold cloth. There is nothing in this election that was, you know, untoward. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, he, he, it was a decisive loss. The popular vote was actually huge. Yeah. And and the, the, they've taken it to court. They ran the whole thing. Every judge, save one, <laughs> out mm-hmm. of like 60 cases, mm-hmm. have rejected their arguments. There simply is no proof. Even the Republicans on a local and state level have said, no, sorry, dude. You know, I mean, we did our best, but we just can't, yeah. we can't get her done, you know. Yeah. And yet he is escalating. I mean, every day it gets... He gets more and more dug in on this thing and is proving to everyone that, you know, not that I had never had any doubt that he was, you know, half out of his mind and that he was completely psychologically unfit to be in any position like this. But, you know, to the extent that he functioned at all, we're now at a point where he is 100 percent dysfunctional. And, well, you know, you, know, you and say people are dying. Well, and people are yes. dying at the same time. But, uh, you know, you say, Heather, that, you know, he's proving this to everyone. I've had to, you know, I, I actually dig into these claims that he and his uh, MAGA mob are making about, you know, the uh, computers flipping right, right, votes from him. To, and uh, and of course, I also find that there's nothing there. It's actually put me in a very uncomfortable situation in some sure. respects because I've actually had to defend voting machine companies. <laughs> and you know me long enough that I I take no joy in that because a lot of the stuff they're they're claiming about Venezuela, Hugo Chavez and so forth, that comes from specifically my exclusive reporting at Bradblog from about 10 years ago. So I feel like I, I have a responsibility to sort of straighten the record about how they are bastardizing those reports. Um, but when you say that, oh, everybody can see that he's a loser, 
Uh, are you sure you're right about that? Because oh. there are a lot of people who, uh, if anything, it seems to be that there are more and more people buying into his nonsense as he has been inventing it over the past seven or or eight weeks. No? Um, no, you're absolutely right. When I say everyone, I should I should be more specific. Everyone sane. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It, can see it. Uh, you know, that, but that is, you know, unfortunately, and this is one of the big revelations, of course, about our, uh, yeah, about our culture, mm-hmm. about our country, about our political system, everything, is that, you know, there are tens of millions of people out there who are, and, you know, I'm going to use a word that may upset people, but, I mean, I, you know, they're brainwashed by right-wing media mm-hmm. and in the thrall of this man who I look at him and I just go, who in the world would look at this guy and listen to him mm-hmm. and think that he's even making sense, much less that he's a great leader and someone that you put you know, your faith in and that you believe is, is telling you the truth above everyone else. I mean, this is a cult of personality beyond anything we've ever had in and, our country. And, I mean, this is and, yet, and yet we see that it works. Yes, they are brain-poisoned, is how I describe it, um, yeah, that it works. And you got to wonder... You know, is are the number of people that buy into this growing? And I don't know if it's the number of people or if the, you know, the brain poisoning is just feeding to the point where they can become violent in support of this effort. You know, I've been warning since Election Day uh, about sort of, again, what what RJ uh, said with a hand reaching out of the grave, you know, warning about Democrats sort of walking away from the dead body, uh, even though the dead body still has a loaded gun in his hand or, you know, (laughs) leaving Freddy Krueger for dead with an axe nearby when we all know that Freddy always comes back. So, you know, you describe what is happening uh, in your piece at Salon today as more frightening than Nixon's final days. It is unnerving, but is is there anything really to fear here beyond Trump's tantrums and bluster? Is that all we're looking at or is there, um, you know, the potential for something really dangerous to to happen here? Well, that's a two-part question. I mean, the first part is can he do something as president you know, mm-hmm. using the power of the presidency, that, that's truly dangerous. And, you know, it is true that the, the, the law, the, the rule, the, the process is that he could order a nuclear strike. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that is, that, that is that's imme- the, the order is for whoever, you know, is supposed to launch the missile. It is an immediate order. And it was very unusual that they did that with Richard Nixon. I, you know, you notice that I said the defense secretary in my mm-hmm. piece, who was James Schlesinger at the yeah. time, we now, you know, Trump fired uh, Esper, Esper the, yeah. the previous um, defense secretary, and, you know, he's put in this guy who's apparently one of his toadies. So we can't count on that. So we're kind of thinking, well, if he does decide to do something like this, and, you know, who knows, he could, yeah. um, it would be up to the military itself to, you know, call it an unlawful order. This is very complicated, and yes, it's very dangerous. He's clearly melting down, and, you know, as far as I'm concerned, when you have a president who's melting down, who has this capacity to to launch a nuclear Mm -hmm. war, we're in a very dangerous situation, regardless of whether he, you know, is talking about doing it or not. And you've Mm -hmm. got Michael Flynn in his ear. This guy is nuts, and he is talking about military action. They're talking about a coup, which doesn't make sense. The the way that he's talking about the coup is kind of ridiculous. I don't know what mechanism by which he (laughs) thinks they're going to 
redo the election. Rerun the election. And everyone's going to show up, line up to vote. And everyone will say, yeah, sure, you okay. Will, you will get out there and vote again. You know well, I mean? Exactly. I don't know what he, what he thinks he's going to do. But, yeah. but, you know, all of that stuff, that is dangerous. He does have a tremendous amount of power. But, th- but there's another side to this that is, that is also very dangerous, and it's going to last beyond Trump. And it has a life beyond Trump, which is this radicalization of these people. The brain poisoning. I mean, they are being mm-hmm. radicalized into believing that our voting system, number one, is completely rigged by the media, the Democrats, foreign actors across the board. Everything you can think of has put together has now convinced them that the voting system is completely rigged against them. And you know, they placed all this faith in Donald Trump. He is the the big winner, right? I mean, he's, he can't lose. He's the stable genius, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> For him to be, you know, ignominiously evicted from the White House under circumstances that they believe are wrong, um, I do think there's a tremendous danger that you're going to find further radicalization. And that's already there. You know, we've seen reports from the FBI and from the Department of Homeland Security and all this that right-wing mm-hmm. political violence and and radicalization is yeah. on the rise and i think that is that what he's done with this it's the most irresponsible thing any president has ever done yeah. in this regard you you couldn't you couldn't create this situation anymore unless you said hey everyone grab your guns and start right. blowing stuff up that's kind of where we are now in the nixon matter it, it took a bunch of you know well-respected uh, Republicans to walk over to the White House, tell uh, tell Nixon it was over, he's going to be impeached, and then he came to understand you know that he was done and he had to go. But Trump has already been impeached, and he stared that down. Now he's attacking the top Senate Republicans, Mitch McConnell and John Thune, for being cowards for not supporting him. Is there anyone? actually left to talk Trump off the ledge at this point or out of the White House at this point? Or do we just need to sort of let him and his pals have their January 6th congressional pretend outrage day first and sort of punch themselves out? Well, I don't. Th- I, I think it's the second. I think that I, I don't know whether we have to do that, but that does seem like it's the only the only thing that will happen because the Republicans look, I mean, you know, when we've talked about this for four long years, the the absolutely servile Republican Party that has completely abdicated all responsibility and has shown a total lack of integrity. They, they are not going to do anything. I mean, even under these circumstances, uh, apparently today uh, with Trump's threat to um, veto the, the COVID mm-hmm. uh, relief bill, yep. along with the, the, the big appropriations bill, um, they had a phone call with McCarthy, the the um, House, House Majority Leader, yeah. and uh, all the Republicans, and they, um, you know, they were all expressing their, you know, they don't want to have to come back from the Christmas thing, which is what they'll have to do if this happens, if he vetoes it. They were upset, felt like they'd been thrown, one of the quotes is they were th- felt like he'd thrown the House under the bus, the House Republicans under the bus, right. and McCarthy stood by him and said, we're going to have to fix this and, you know, give him some of the things he wants. I mean, he is willing to go back into that bill, and he's try- and he's getting these people. So the leadership of the House mm-hmm. is, you know, so far is, you know, going along yeah. with Trump, of course. And then the Senate, you know, Trump's already said, I don't care what you think. He has no regard for them. They could come up there en masse and tell him that, you know, and try and take him out physically. 
and he would fight it because he doesn't care about that anymore. I mean, he is mm-hmm. beyond the Repu- he is the Republican Party. They are part of it if they choose to be, but they they have there is no Republican establishment. There's only him. By the way, I think that they, or at least uh, Pelosi has said that they could pass uh, that they you know pass a bill by unanimous consent that everyone doesn't have to come back. They could just you know, change, uh, make an amendment to pass everything uh, to, to give $2,000 payments instead. And the Democrats are all in favor of it, oh, by yeah. the way. And they're they're now calling out the uh, uh, Democrats in, in the U.S. Uh, Senate runoffs in Georgia are now calling on their Republican oh, yeah. opponents to say, hey, we're in favor of this. How about you? Are you going to go against your own president? But what effect uh, should we expect to see from those January 5 runoffs in, in Georgia? as it applies to the Electoral College vote affirmation in Congress the very next day on January 6th. Now, Mitch McConnell has, you know, reportedly been warning his caucus in the Senate, do not challenge the results on January 6th because it's going to put him in a very bad position. They'll have to vote essentially for or against Donald Trump. But I've also seen some speculate that if if McConnell loses his majority on January 5th, that seems a long shot to me still, frankly, uh, but the numbers are, are seemingly encouraging for Democrats there. If McConnell, if it becomes clear that he's lost his majority, uh, what happens on January 6th? Are all bets off as to what he may let his caucus uh, in the Senate do that day? Is, is any of that coming into focus for you yet, Heather, or is, that, is it just too insane right now to see beyond the next 24 hours at this point? <laughs> Well, that's that's the story of the Trump uh, administration. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. But my suspicion would be that if he loses the the Senate, he'll say do what you need to do to everybody. But what he's also saying when he does that is he's saying go ahead and vote against Donald Trump, and in two years let's just see if that was a good vote for you or not. Because the truth is, is that you know he said it right out. Mitch often says you know, spills the beans. He's kind of like Trump that way. Mm -hmm. He said, if you vote against Donald Trump on this, they're going to use it against Trump, uh, you know, a primary Mm -hmm. or a challenger is going to use it against you in 2022. And he may just let them do that if they want to. It's You know, what has he got to lose, I guess? He figures that, you know, I don't have the the majority anyway. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think it could go either way, and I don't know what's going to happen down there in that race. I mean, today David Perdue came out and said that he came out against Donald Trump on this $2,000 thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... You know, it it's very confused, and I'm not sure that any of these details really penetrate the the voting public anyway. At this point, everybody's you know it's Christmas. There's all kinds of other stuff going on, so who knows? Unless they can put together some advertising or some kind of some messaging that mm-hmm. can actually get through. But yeah, I mean, I think that we're going to have a you know a circus sideshow on January 6th. That is uh, regardless. Yeah. I mean, oh, there's yeah. going to be somebody who challenges oh, it. Yeah. They have to go back in a back room, and they got to yep. hash it out and do a bunch of stuff. So, I think it's going to be something else. I mean, it's it's kind of Trump's last stand, or at least we think it yeah, is. Yeah, I know exactly. Uh, it, you know. It, maybe it's Trump's next stand. Next Let's stand, not call yeah. it his last, because as you point out, you know, good news on January fifth in Georgia could be very bad news on Jan- you know on yeah. January 6th for yeah. the world 
very quickly, uh, I'm almost out of time here, Heather. Uh, your take on the uh, on the pardons to date: uh, four Blackwater mercenaries who led a massacre in Iraq, three very corrupt Trumpy congressmen, two figures from the uh, Mueller probe, and I'm pretty sure a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> is this the beginning of what is going to be a tsunami of pardons that are going to end with preemptive pardons for his own family and, yes, himself? Sure seems like it. I mean, I see no reason to believe that him have you know undergoing this meltdown that he's not going to go for it, right? Why would he? Why wouldn't he? I mean, yeah, if why he ends hold up back in, now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he's he's got this is his this is his final play, and I believe that he'll do it. He'll probably pardon Giuliani too. I mean, I, I have a feeling that he's going to pardon a whole bunch of people. Let me just say just quickly that those pardons of those war criminals and the two border patrol mm-hmm. guys who who uh, killed the unarmed drug dealer down yeah. at the border yeah. that is that is grotesque and i just want to say to anybody who thought that you know well trump maybe he's he's not so great but he's just a nice at least he's an isolationist and he's not violent and everything yeah well we got lucky these pardons of war criminals tells you tell you everything about who that guy is and under certain circumstances you better bet we would have had a war we were very lucky that we didn't get one from this guy and it could have been just awful in fact considering what we're just talking about it's still possible. Yes. He's a sociopath when it that, comes to that stuff. Exactly what I was going to say. We have been lucky so far. We still have, oh, a few very long weeks to go. Heather Digby Ugh. Parton. Uh, yeah, I know. So, oh, and Merry Christmas. Um, <laughs> Heather Digby Parton can be found at salon.com, also at digbysblog.net, also on the Twitters at digby56 heather always great speaking with you and uh after the break i suspect i will be uh sending out a a flare an sos for another heather digby parton lifesaver appearance on the broadcast <laughs> anytime i am here to save life i'm not going anywhere i live in la so <laughs> there you go stay put stay safe stay healthy and uh somehow happy holidays to you heather thank you, you too. for everything you too thanks for having me you bet Okay, let's uh, take a very quick break and we will be back. You know, even though uh, good news for Democrats and the world on January 5th in Georgia could be bad news for the world on January 6th in (laughs) Congress, it still seems to me to be a better option. Okay, I would rather see uh, Democrats take control of the Senate and get Mitch McConnell out of there. Oh, by all means. So with that in mind, let's take a quick break and we will have some... Uh, some inspiration for uh, folks in Georgia to do exactly that. Quick break, and we're back with more. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Brad. My thanks to those who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to sign up for a subscription to the Bradcast of any amount you like. We rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please grab a subscription at bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. That's that's two whistling bumper songs today, Desi Doyle. Are you trying to send me a ma- Are you trying to say I'm whistling past the graveyard at this point? Oh, there you go. That's a good Is that way to what put I'm it. going for? Sure. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. A new poll from SurveyUSA 
sponsored by an Atlanta NBC affiliate, uh, tried to collect data on a question that Republicans and Democrats alike have been asking for weeks. Will Republicans who believe the general election was rigged vote in the critical U.S. Senate runoffs in Georgia? According to the poll, a good percentage of them will not. Just over 11 percent of the registered voters polled said they will not vote in the runoff election. That group is disproportionately comprised of self-identified conservatives and 55 percent of of those who identify as, quote, very conservative added that they are skipping the runoff because the voting process is rigged, unquote. Another 7% of the very conservative voters reported that they are, quote, intentionally boycotting the election. Very sad. Now, it's a pretty small sample size to work with in this particular poll, and we saw in November how much pre-election polling tends to be off these days, seemingly. So make of that what you will, as even Survey USA's uh, analysis notes that, quote, Georgia is a hot mess and no opinion pollster. <laughs> could possibly say what will happen when votes are counted in two weeks. They also pointed out that Donald Trump's recently announced rally on January 4, if he actually does it, and why wouldn't he? He'll be the focus of the world, uh, that that may sweep those resistant right-wingers into the voting booth after all in Georgia. But of course, that's only if he's in the mood to tell them to do so by then. You heard Heather there just now noting that David Perdue one of the uh, incumbent Republicans running in Georgia, he seems to be going against Donald Trump regarding an increase to the stimulus payments in the COVID relief bill. So who knows? The poll did have uh, generally good top lines for the Democrats, uh, for John Ossoff, up five points over Senator David Perdue, and Raphael Warnock up seven points over Kelly Loeffler. But uh, frankly, I wouldn't buy that either. We are seeing pretty huge turnout numbers during early voting, but we've seen that before in Georgia as well in elections that Democrats ended up losing by a very narrow margin anyway. So, you know what? We do not know. But what I do know is that only the fate of the nation and the world could be hanging in the balance in these elections. So to that end, the uh, Midas Touch group put out a video a few days ago from singer Patty Austin, which I hope you will keep singing over the next two or three weeks until Election Day, because Georgia, you are voting for me, too. Georgia, you're not just voting for you. No, you're voting for me, too. Georgia, I got you on my mind. You have got a chance today to keep the U in USA. Oh, Georgia, say, can you see? You could save my democracy. Oh, Georgia, you're not just voting for you. No, you're voting for me, too. Georgia, you're not just voting for you. No, you're voting for me, too. You've got to be tired of washing hands and wearing masks But you could save the planet's ass Oh, Georgia, we're all waiting to see If you've left the Confederacy Well, welcome to the 21st century No, you're voting for me, too 
could sit around and mope and say, yo, what's the difference? Or you could just get out and vote, just two senators in blue. Georgia, you know what to do. Georgia, you're not just voting for you. No, you're voting for me too. No, Georgia, put love back in the world. Who better than a fine southern girl? Well, Georgia, come on and give it a whirl. Cause you're voting for me too. Yes, you're voting for me too. Make January 5th a belated Christmas gift. Georgia, you know what to do. You are non-conspiracies. Vote that crap away from me. Georgia, you know what, you know what to do. Georgia. Yeah, Patty Austin. Yeah. Love it. Thank you. We have to get out. Uh, my thanks to my guest today, Heather Digby Parton, my producer, as always, Desiree Doyen. Thanks, Des. Yep. And to all of you for helping us get through this year. And frankly, these past four or five, to be frank, uh, we will be standing down a bit during the holidays for a much needed mental health break. Can you tell we need it <laughs> before the final push? That's push, not pooch, uh, at least I hope, uh, though we, we will have some surprises for you here on the broadcast over the next few days. And Nicole Sandler will be here to cover for us uh, for some of them as well between the holidays. So please stay tuned. You can, as ever, download and share all of our shows for free via bradblog.com, where I hope you will consider hitting the donate button when you're there or just stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us over the hump into the new year. And if you prefer a direct PayPal or Venmo donation, you can hit me on either or both via bradcast at bradblog.com. Thanks for thinking of us for your end of year giving. You can also send me email there, bradcast at bradblog.com, over the holidays as well. Otherwise, on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at the Brad Blog, and we will see you there before we see you here in 2021. From Desi and I to you and yours, please stay warm, safe, and healthy until we meet here again in person. Have happy holidays somehow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Well, Georgia, come on and give it a whirl. Cause you're voting for me too. Georgia, you know what? You know what to do.